stand this morning and just share a little something that's been on my mind this week. You know, sometimes I think we cut ourselves short and we cut God short because our worship is affected by what we think of ourselves. You know, you think, hey, look at what I did yesterday. I can't really worship today. But one thing has nothing to do with the other. There's, there's only one prerequisite for worship. If you think he's bigger than you, then you worship him. If you think he's great and you're not, you worship him, and that's why. I wonder if, as we begin to sing this morning, if you could just raise your hands and realize God's bigger than us. And that's all you need to know. We worship him this morning because he's great, because he's awesome. Would you do it? Whatever comes my way, I'll rejoice in you. This is the day you made. 
just worship the Lord today? Can we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, come on, one more time. Let's clap our hands to Jesus. Can we shout with a voice of triumph? Scripture says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you found that the Lord is good? Has anyone experienced the goodness of the Lord today? Amen. I am so thankful for his presence, thankful for what he means in my life, and I know you feel the same way today. Amen. God bless you this morning. Thank you so much for being here at Grace Church. We want to welcome all of you today. Glad you're here on campus those joining on Facebook Live and live stream, we are so glad that you've chosen to be a part of our service today. Amen. You may be seated today in the presence of the Lord. And I just have a high expectation of what God's going to do in this service. If you've come with a need, if you've come uh, with, with a situation that you want God to work in, I believe that need can be met before you leave today. I believe that you can hear from God. God can touch you in the, in the place where you are. So I want you to approach this service with faith. I want you to approach this service with, a, with just an assurance that God is going to work today. Amen. Amen. Let me remind you of just a couple of things. Uh, Sister Sheila Landry would like to meet with all the ladies who are going to be setting a table at the ladies' tea. And that meeting will occur immediately after the altar service this morning over in classroom two. So uh, Sister Sheila needs to meet with all the ladies there uh, in regards to the tea. If you have a table setting for the tea, we need, uh, she needs to meet with you. And then tomorrow night, of course, we continue with our United Family Prayer at home with your family. Uh, continue that at 714 on Monday night and let God bless you in your home in prayer. And then Tuesday morning, of course, uh, prayer here in the sanctuary. Tuesday morning prayer at 10 o'clock if your schedule allows. And then next Sunday, of course, is Easter Sunday. So I, I, I thought we just had Christmas service. It seemed like, like that was yesterday. And uh, here we are. So um, I don't know exactly what to think about that. But whether we like it or not, that means we're all older. Okay, we're all older than we were three months ago. That's just a fact. So next Sunday is Easter Sunday. We want you to come out, bring your friends, bring your family. Let's have a great time at church next Sunday at Grace Church, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So remember that. Don't forget. And then very important announcement, the following Sunday, April the 11th. Everybody say April the 11th. Very important. We're going to do a benefit lunch for Mike Tomlinson on that Sunday, and we want to just get behind this family and support them in this way. I know you've been praying. Uh, we've all been praying for Brother Mike, and we're going to continue that, but we also want to support them this way as well. There will be a benefit lunch for Mike over in the A Center immediately following the service, and that is going to be pulled pork sandwiches. Now, those pulled pork sandwiches do have quite a reputation around Grace Church, and so that is a uh, that right there is going to be worth the cost, but they're also going to throw in some baked beans, some chips, cookies, and drink, all of that for $10, and so it's a, it's a great cause, and it's great food, so we want you to mark your calendar for April the 11th to be a part of that. One other quick housekeeping note on that, if you do pay for your dinner on the church app, if you go to Grace Church, either the website or the app, and you click on the giving tab, 
there is a drop-down menu that comes down with all the various areas that you can give. The very last one says goods and services. And if you can remember that, it would, would, would help us to give under that heading and that category. That would help us keep this fundraiser and these funds where they need to go and keep them separate for accounting purposes. It would be very helpful if you could do that. So any questions about that, just contact the church office and we can walk you through uh, doing that. But thank you so much for being uh, mindful of that and being a part of that. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you just right where you, you're sitting, um, we're, we're getting ready to change the order of the service. Uh, pastor is going to, be coming, going to be coming to the pulpit to lead us in our communion service this morning. And so as he prepares to do that, I'm going to ask you right where you're at, would you just lift your hands heavenward? And, and, and let's just begin to feel after the presence of God. You can, you can thank him, praise him, but just begin to transition in your spirit about what we're getting ready to do. Jesus, I thank you, Lord. We've entered into your gates with thanksgiving. We've entered into your courts with praise. And we're here now. We're in your presence. You're here. And these next few sacred moments, Lord, I pray that you would do something sovereign. We prepare our minds and our hearts for the presentation that you have. That's it, Grace Church. Just talk to the Lord a moment as Pastor comes to the pulpit. atmosphere here this morning and we're certainly thankful for the ever abiding ever consistent presence of the Lord and um, we are doing our communion service a little bit different today as far as the order of the service typically we would do that uh, for our altar service but uh, today I just felt like we needed to do it a little bit different and in preparation for that um, I'd like for you to stay prayerful. I'll ask our ministry team to go ahead and get in place. I have a couple of things that I'd like to share with you uh, just to remind you about the significance and how biblical what we're about to do is. The Bible said, and as they were eating, that would be the disciples and Jesus. Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I'd like to remind all of us here today that there's four acts, there's four parts of the Lord's Supper that we're about to partake in. The first thing that the Bible instructs us to do when we approach the communion table is to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Today, when you pick up a piece of this bread and a cup of juice, it is to remind you of Jesus Christ. The bread is to remind us of how he was broken on the cross. He that was without sin took our place Peter said in his epistle who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree and that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed so the first act of communion is remembrance the second act is examination 
and I would like for us to really give this part some consideration. Paul writes, but let a man examine himself, not others, but to examine yourself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So when we set aside time to share in the Lord's Supper, we're not just fulfilling a ritual of the church, but this time today is set aside for reflection and self-examination. Before we take communion, will we spend some time in prayer? We should. And why would you do this? Before Paul declared that a man ought to examine himself, he said, For whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. We must understand that in reality, none of us are truly worthy in and of ourselves to participate in the Lord's Supper. When Paul speaks of taking it in an unworthy manner, he's talking about people who rush in and participate without thinking of the real meaning of what is happening. That is why we're going to take some time to examine our motives before moving further along in this part of our service. The third part of the communion service is participation. The Bible said the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So the Lord's Supper is meant to be participatory. We look at the elements before us and we see bread and we see the cup, but it's more than that. These elements represent the fact that through the sacrifice on Calvary, we're able to be included in the new family of God. Through the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus, we're given the means by which salvation can come to our lives. The fourth part of this is proclamation. The Bible said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Participating in communion today also is an act of proclamation. You're proclaiming or telling the truest message ever told, and that is the gospel. The gospel is the good news to all mankind that because Jesus sacrificed his body and blood, we can also be delivered from sin and shame. The blood of Jesus sets any sinner free. We are no longer captives to the world, but we are new creatures in Christ. So if you'll stand with me this morning in conclusion to this presentation. In the Lord's Supper, we're looking at four acts of a grand story. We remember that Christ has accomplished, we remember what Christ has accomplished in our lives. Number two, we examine our lives and make repentance. Number three, we participate spiritually in the sacrifice of Jesus by taking communion. And number four, we proclaim the two true message of the gospel as we receive each element of the Lord's Supper. I want us to take a moment and pray, examine yourself, make sure your attitude and posture should be one of appreciation, of thankfulness, of thanksgiving. To come down here and, and get the communion elements is a privilege, it's an honor. 
that we're not worthy of, but his blood makes us worthy. We want to be sure we have the right attitude. Can we take a moment and let's pray together before we move forward. Jesus, we love you today. It's a privilege. More than a privilege, it's humbling to be able to stand here in this moment, at this time, and to be able to partake in such a meaningful what you did for us is something we've never forgotten. There's so many events that's happened in our lifetimes that we've forgotten. And when we're reminded, we're like, oh yeah, that did happen, but Calvary's not one of those. It's something we never forget. It's something we never have to be reminded of. I, I hope that's the case here today. I pray, God, today that you would bless this wonderful church, these wonderful, wonderful people, and help us to come with a true heart of love and appreciation to you as we partake in this time of remembrance for what you've done for us on Calvary's cross. We pray, God, that our hearts and minds are right in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So if you would today, if you would come, if this side, this two sections to my left, to your right, if you would come and just pick up the, if you would exit toward the wall, you could pass by and pick up the fruit of the vine and then the bread. Return to your seat and just hold it. We'll participate all together at the same time. Those of you to my right and, or, and to your left, if you'll exit towards the wall and just pass through and then return to your seat. Hold the elements. We'll protect together. If you'll go ahead and do that right now. Stay prayerful. Stay prayerful. Stay open and sincere to the Word of God, to the instruction of the Word of God.
appreciate the presence of the Lord here today. There's, there's just a sweetness to me in the air right now, and I'm thankful for the beautiful and very amazing presence of the Lord. You folks have been very expedient and very kind, and we appreciate that so very much. And uh, as soon as we get everyone else uh, served here today, we will uh, begin. We want to make sure that everybody's taken care of. And um, has anybody not received the communion elements? Is everybody media booth? Y'all, y'all are good. Okay, everybody's good. So the Bible said in First Corinthians eleven twenty three: For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same day, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. In obedience to the scripture today, let's partake of the wafer together, shall we? In Jesus' name. And if you're ready, if you would, if you would prepare uh, the fruit of the vine. And as we are all ready, in the name of Jesus, let's partake together in remembrance of him. Thank the Lord. Can we fill the atmosphere today with praise? Can we fill the atmosphere with thanksgiving? Let's praise the Lord together, shall we? And let's be thankful for this amazing moment of communion, of celebrating together. Jesus, we love you today. We're thankful. God, we're thankful. God, we're thankful. God, we're thankful. We appreciate your blessing, your spirit in our lives. Thank the Lord. Don't you love Jesus today? Anybody here today? Don't you love the Lord? If you can, let's give the Lord some praise. Praise team's coming right now. Let's worship together as they say. Yeah. 
Hallelujah to God. Let's clap our hands to Jesus and praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. While you remain standing today, uh, I would like to also welcome all of our guests here today. Thank you so much for coming, for joining us today in service. And uh, our, our Grace Church here today is so great to see all of you as well. Those of you joining us on live stream, Facebook Live, we're so honored to have you with us today as well. Thank the Lord. Uh, as we turn to the word of the Lord today, uh, I'd like to read one verse of scripture. And uh, I would like to appreciate all of you to be prayerful through the service today um, that have a little bit of an unusual message. To me it is. The presentation of it perhaps might be a little bit unusual. Uh, but I feel compelled in the Holy Ghost to do it. We're going to do it the best we can. But as we traverse through this service, if you would keep Sister Dean Dykes in your prayers. Her sister passed away yesterday. And uh, if you would keep them in your prayers today, they would appreciate it. Such a sweet family, and uh, God knows they need His presence during this time. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, this is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel just prior to his passing, just prior to his death. He said, The eternal God is thy refuge and underneath. Everybody say, and underneath. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. I want to take those two words that I just asked you to repeat and it's going to be the title of my message today. It's just simply, and underneath. Everybody say, thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. If you read carefully and listen closely, you can almost hear the stirring words of an old man. But this is not just any old man, but this is a man whom God has used mightily through his lifetime. And now he has come to give some parting words for the people that he has walked closely with for the last 40 years of his life. The book of Deuteronomy pours out of Moses the wisest and most choice words that comes from a lifetime of communion and service to God. This book is called Deuteronomy. It means the second law-giving. But more than that, it's his song. It's Moses' song. The text that I read comes as a crescendo full of spiritual feeling and purpose closing out the song. <clears throat> he is leaving behind things that the whole entire nation of Israel needs to hear. Obviously, some of his experiences in life color the words that the Lord impresses on him to write. Moses' life 
had been marked by times that were up and certainly times that were down. I'll ask you to pay attention to the words on the screen. Moses had been prepared in the finest schools of the world at the time. And then all of the great aspirations that the Egyptians had for him fell apart in perhaps one single act of Moses. It fell apart partly because of a mistake on the part of Moses and partly because of the plan of God for his life. It would take me about two hours to preach this the way I want to this morning, but I'll not do that to you today. You're welcome. But I want you to understand, of all the things that Egypt had poured into Moses, grooming him to be their future leader, or at least close to the top of their national leadership, Partly because of a mistake that Moses made and partly because of the plan that God had for his life. Everything changed. The mistake that Moses made that changed everything was murdering an Egyptian. That changed everything for Moses. But somehow, and this is where this presentation gets a little bit awkward. Everybody here today has made a mistake. And due to our American culture, we judge how horrible that mistake was or not. So for some here today, your mistake may not be that big of a deal. But others here today, you may even need to be in jail. Who knows? But in Moses' case, Yes, he made a mistake, but somewhere in there, God had to change the path that Moses was on. And not only did God change Moses' path for his own life, but he restructured the whole entire path of the whole nation of Egypt in that one single mistake. Just because you made a mistake does not mean You have erased the will of God for your life. Don't ever forget this biblical illustration. David is another one that that climbs way up to the top in this kind of thing. The slave driver that Moses murdered, maybe he deserved what he got, I don't know. But nonetheless, Moses had to suffer the consequences of his actions. Yet generally speaking, most of the people of this world never plan on mistakes and failure. We don't plan on it. We don't plan for it. Even though we know deep inside it's probably going to happen somewhere. There are probably some things that lead us down the path of wrong choices. But most likely none would ever dream that this would be their lot in life. 
But all in all, Moses' mistake became God's blueprint for his life. It would be a blueprint that God would use to draft out the construction and character of this man that we know of as Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, the familiar reading says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. So by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him God who is invisible. His great education appears to languish in the desert for 40 years. All of that that he learned all of his life appeared to languish in the desert for 40 years before God finally reunited with him at a burning bush. It appears that a murder was going to cause him to flee for the rest of his life. He is forced into a dead end, or so it appears. There are some lessons that we learn from this very difficult and challenging spot in the life of Moses. It's one that you don't hear much about. We know it. But it's not talked about. It seems like we help Moses keep it. The proverbial secret that uh, we're not going to share things about Moses' life that we shouldn't be talking about. I'm sure Moses appreciates the respect. But I want to reiterate to everybody in the building, I really feel like I'm talking to somebody here today. That hard times do not erase God's promises. When God had Moses' mother weave that little basket and put him in the Nile River and had him drift into the arms of Pharaoh's daughter, God knew with his foreknowledge that Moses was going to murder a man one day. God also knew that Moses would be the one to lead his people out of the nation of Egypt, even though he had murder on his record. Hard times and evil sinful times do not erase the promise of God from our life. Harsh treatment does not escape God's notice. Heavy taste testing does not eclipse God's concern. Moses' failure turned him in to a servant. He was qualified to be crowned king of Egypt. But his failure qualified him for something far greater. The desert helped Moses discover himself. That is often what happens to those who allow the desert to shape them. It forces us to see things on the inside of us that we're not accustomed to dealing with. There's people here today that's in 
I don't want to be too specific. But there's people here today that's messed up. You made a mistake. And you feel like your hopes and dreams have been shattered. Whether they were intended for an Egypt somewhere in this world. Or for even greater for the kingdom of God. I want to assure you today. That God can take your greatest failure. And use it as a catapult. To sling you into your moment of greatness. Our responses to the desert. That place Moses had to flee. Egypt had had their way in Moses' life. In the first 40 years of his life. Now it's time for God to have his way. In Moses' life in the second 40 years. And God chose the desert as the place to do it. Our response to the desert, to that place where God is stretching us, where that, that place where God is talking to us, that place where God is moving us in a certain direction, our response to that often determines the success, the, the success or failure of the future that God has for us. There are generally three ways we respond to the desert. First of all, most of us say, I don't need it. The second response is, I'm tired of it. I've had that response a few times. But the third response is, I accept it. This is more than just a resignation to the facts, but an embracing of destiny that God has for us. I'm preaching to Grace Church today. Maybe I'm preaching to me. God has really... This has been throbbing in me for the past number of weeks. And we've been teaching on vision and future and all of that. God has put every one of us and then together as a church in a place where we can catapult into his will and purpose more than we ever have in our life. It just depends on how you accept the desert treatment right now. Maybe you feel like God has prepared you for something else. Maybe you feel like your parents did or your job has. But somewhere along the line, God is rising to the surface and saying, all along I've been underneath everything that's happened in your life. I've been underneath it all. There are some who understand the great value of a 40-year tenure of the desert. Consider your own desert and reflect on what has happened with that desert. Let me make a, a personal reference here if you don't mind. I feel like I spent about 15 years in the desert. Our first 15 years we were at this church. Couldn't get anywhere, couldn't grow it, couldn't do nothing. Just seemed like we just went in a circle chasing our taillights. That was 15 years for me. Can't imagine what 40 would have been like. But what this does is it reduces and subdues, uh, subdues our temper. It gives us a different temperament. These years in the desert weans us from the shams and setups and the supposed sweetness of Egypt or the world. Those years gifted us with eyes and hearts to suffer the loss of this world, to trade for a greater reward in heaven. Not only did the desert seem to attempt to choke the life out of Moses, but there are other circumstances that he had to endure 
in addition to the desert. He went to the mountain and met with God, shortly leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's out of that desert of trial, but now he's in another desert of trial. This is where his tenure with God begins. Everybody listen to me today. Ministry team, listen. Not only would he meet with God, but he would also return a changed man. Personal revival does not always secure local or national revival. You can have a moment with God where you feel like you're walking on water and walk out into a sea of carnality. When Moses came down from those 40 days with God in the mountain, what did he come down to? The nation of Israel dancing around an idol God that they built in his absence. So personal revival doesn't always mean there's going to be local or even national revival. In addition to the failure of God's people properly appreciating their deliverance from Egypt, Moses also had to endure the criticism of his sister and brother over who he chose to marry. Sometimes this is the most difficult criticism to have to endure, and that is, it's that of a family. It's that of family. It was a day when he had to stand the disgraceful attack from his brother and sister. They tried to pull him down from this place that God had been working the entire life of Moses to bring him to. I've seen this in pastoring for years. There's people here today I'm struggling so hard with this message today because I want you to hear it. There's people here today that planned and worked and especially in the church. This area today is full of people who planned and worked and planned and worked and they, they were involved in music and singing and, and church leadership and Sunday school teachers and somewhere along the line when they came down for a moment from their spiritual mountain, their rendezvous with God, the people didn't recognize them anymore. The people didn't know them anymore. The people didn't know how to handle them. And then they immediately was criticized over choices they were making. I don't know if it was the will of God for Moses to marry the woman he married or not, but apparently God allowed it and didn't say anything about it. But he didn't marry a Jewish woman. That would be covered later on in the law of Moses. But at this point, Moses was just got the law of God and probably didn't have really a chance to even study it. Mistakes that people make, whether it's murder or marriage, are misjudging God's people for their carnality does not erase God's promise and plan for our life. Underneath everything we do, the plan and purpose of God never ceases to work. There may be people here today having marital difficulties. There may be people here today having problems with your kids. There may be people here today having problems with your job. 
whatever it may be, just because these negative events have happened in your life, it does not erase God's plan or purpose. And underneath it all is the everlasting arms of Jesus. Maybe the, the reason I'm so passionate about this is I live this. <laughs> I, 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 I live this mindset. I, those of you that know me, I've often questioned a thousand times why God called me to do this job. I make mistakes and all of that, but every day, every day, even this week as I was preparing for this, I would sit in my office at home and tears would stream down my face when I realized that everywhere I've gone in my life and everything I've done, good or bad, sink or swim, things worthy of accolade, things worthy of criticism, failures, whatever, the list is endless. But no matter where I've gone and no matter what I've done, look at where I am now. And it's not because of me. It's because underneath my whole entire life has been those everlasting arms of God. Dave, when y'all were at St. Jude, God didn't abandon you. He didn't leave you. Underneath that, underneath all of that. Melanie, of all the things you've experienced all throughout your life, from the day you were born until right now, all of the things, if I may say, and, and if, I, if I'm making a mistake here, forgive me, but even murder has touched her life. Not something she did, but it's, it's family and it's touched her life. Maybe even on a couple of occasions. But she's one of the most phenomenal prayer intercessors I've ever met. All of that did not deter God's promise for her life. It was the point that the final pieces of Moses' greatness, it was when all of his stuff had been exposed. He's committed murder. He's been criticized by his family. He's got the people of God Everybody in unison backsliding on him. And this is where his greatness begins to come to the surface. And this is what happened. The Bible said in Numbers chapter 12 verse 3, this is what all of that did to Moses. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Meek is a word that very few in this world ever come to know. The murderer. The murderer. The man who married the heathen woman. Became mild, gentle, humble, unpretentious, unassuming, modest, and the list goes on. True meekness never appears in our lives. It never just appears in our lives. It does not come until it has been planted, watered, pruned, purified, and beaten upon by every wind of God and cut to pieces 
by every knife of God. I don't feel to continue. The musicians would come. I'll remind you of our text. The eternal God is thy refuge, Moses said, the murderer said. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Media booth, I'm going to go all the way down to the rock. I'll share with you a story and then I'll have you stand. A man was sleeping at night in his cabin when suddenly his room filled with light and Jesus appeared. The Lord told the man he had work for him to do and showed him a large rock out in front of his cabin. The Lord explained that the man was to push against the rock with all of his might. The Lord explained that the man was to push against the rock with all of his might. This the man did. Day after day, for many years he toiled from sunup to sundown. His shoulders set squarely against the cold, massive surface of the unmoving rock, pushing with all of his might. Each night the man returned to his cabin sore and worn out, feeling that his whole day had been spent in vain. Seeing that the man was showing signs of discouragement, the adversary, the devil, decided to enter the picture by placing thoughts into the man's weary mind. You have been pushing against that rock for a long time and it hasn't budged. Why kill yourself over this? You're never going to move it. This gave the man the impression that the task was impossible and that he was a failure. These thoughts discouraged and disheartened the man. Well, I killed myself over this, he thought. I'll just put in my time giving just the minimum effort and that will be good enough. And that is what he planned to do until one day he decided to make it a matter of prayer and he took his troubled thoughts to the Lord. Lord, he said, I've labored long and hard in your service, putting all my strength to do that which you've asked. Yet all, after all this time, I've not even budged that rock by a half a millimeter. What is wrong? Why am I failing? The Lord responded compassionately. He said, my friend, when I asked you to serve me and you accepted, I told you that your task was to push against the rock with all your strength, which you have done. Never once did I mention to you that I expected you to move it. Your task was to push 
And now you come to me with your strength spent, with your strength spent, thinking that you have failed. But is that really so? Look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled. Your back sinewy and brown. Your hands are calloused from constant pressure and your legs have become massive and hard. Through opposition, you have grown much and your abilities now surpass that which you used to have. You haven't moved the rock, but your calling was to be obedient and to push and to exercise your faith and trust in my wisdom. This you have done. So now, my friend, I will move the rock. There's somebody here today, if you'll stand with me, that's been pushing against things in your life, and we misunderstand God. Most oftentimes, we misunderstand God. The man. God asked this man in this story and this fable to just push against a rock. He didn't ask him to move it. And I think when God asks us to push against sin, when he asks us to push against carnality, when he asks us to push against things in our lives, is, he's asking, is he asking you to push against it or is he asking you to move it? And there's a big difference between the two. What this man learned in, in this story and what Moses learned is we need God in times of failure. We need to see those everlasting arms. Israel fell into sin in Numbers 21. They spoke against God and they spoke against Moses and because of that God brought judgment to their lives. There's a tendency for us not to go through the right channels at times when we're out of sync with God. We, we are aware that the things that are troubling us are for our own making. Yet there is a very desire of God to restore us. Too many prodigals lose their way back to the Father's house. The Father's house is the only entrance back into the kingdom. We need God underneath us in times of failure. We also need God when we are in times of need. We need God. We need God when we are underneath the great burdens of life. All of God's great men had to endure great burdens, and during those times of burden, they were in a great time of need. Job is an illustration of this when he was under the attack of Satan. Abraham was sacrificing the dearest possession he had in his son Isaac. Jacob experienced this, the burden of wrestling with past mistakes and sin. Joseph had to go through this with the burden of betrayal. Moses went through it with the burden of not progressing to the promised land. Elijah went through the burden of depression. Ezekiel had the burden of private sorrow and, and public duty. Peter had the burden of calling. Paul had the burden of a thorn. Everybody has these burdens, and we, we recognize our need of God as we carry them. A.W. Tozer summed it up well when he said, 
this is so hard. But everybody listen. Those of you on live stream, listen. Tozer summed it up well when he said, no man will ever be used greatly of God until he, he has been deeply hurt by God. I want to share a thought that I had. It's not in my notes. You know what helped Jesus survive the cross? What made him come out of the grave victorious that we love to dance about and sing about and, and what have you? Is the fact that his love for people was greater than the hurt of people. This occurred to me why so many are bitter and so many are backslidden, so many won't, they're, they're hurt and they, they can't get past the hurt. It's because their love of God is not greater than their feelings. Jesus endured the cross, the Bible said, because his love of people was greater than the pain he was experiencing in his body and in his spirit and in his mind. And if you and I could understand that, the, 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 the psalmist said, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. If we could understand that, and there's people here today that's been hurt, and, and you've committed great sin, you think it's great sin. Perhaps there's people here today that's committed sin that other people think is a great sin. It doesn't, it doesn't matter when you repent. It goes under the blood and that's where it stays. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because what we have to understand is everything it's ever happened to every person in this building underneath it. We always say, why doesn't God save us out of the horrible stuff? He will when we get to heaven. That's kind of the point of heaven. That's where you're saved out of all the stuff. But as long as you're here, you're going to have messed up parents, you're going to have messed up kids, you're going to have messed up jobs, you're going to have messed up lives. You're going to have messed up family. You're going to have messed up friends. You're going to have messed up money. Everything, everything, everything. And we get so inundated with all of that. And then we get hurt by our friends. And we blame it on God. We lose a family member. And we blame it on God. What you don't see, Moses, is even when you murder somebody, and that one single act of murder that changed his life, God was underneath it. Y'all can look at me funny all you want. This Bible, I'm in the book today. God did not hold that against Moses. As a matter of fact, he used it for his favor. Think about the adultery and the fornication. Think about all the crazy alcohol and drugs and all of that that we've done. All the stuff that's happened in our lives. And we feel miserable and wretched and there's no use and there's no hope. I'm pouring my heart out to somebody here today. Underneath is the everlasting arms of God.
songwriter said, what a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leading in the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Then what have I to dread? And what have I to fear? I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning underneath. There's people here today I wish I, I wish I could call your names. I, I wish I could just walk down and tap you on the shoulder. <laughs> you told me, you shared with me stuff that has gone on in your life that's been horrible and it leaves you degraded and feeling worthless and helpless and useless and without purpose. What we don't understand, God is pounding me with this right now for some reason, for somebody. Talking about vision and purpose for our lives and you feel useless and inadequate. But what we don't understand is underneath everything that's happened in life, Peyton, everything that's happened in your life, somehow God Esther, I could, I could spend, I told you I could spend two hours preaching this sermon. There's people here today that just feels like things is really messed up in your life in every kind of way. What you have to see, what you have to see is what's underneath. Dig a little bit into your life. Dig a little bit into all the stuff and you'll find him there. Standing somewhere in the shadows, the old song says. You'll find him. He's not lurking, he's watching. He's not prying, he's interested, he wants to help. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He didn't qualify what kind of door and neither did he qualify what was behind it. He just said, I knock on the door and if any man will open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and him with me. It's underneath everything that's happened lives I don't know what y'all can sing to this but we've got to have an altar service here today somebody has to have a moment with God somebody has to have a moment of repentance somebody has to have a moment of just coming clean a moment of transparency and honesty not with me, not with people around you but with God, somebody has to have that that Moses moment, that burning bush where God says hey Whatever your name is, I've got a job for you to do. But God, I murdered somebody. It doesn't matter. Kick your shoes off. You're on holy ground. But God, I married a bad woman. But it doesn't matter. I told you to take your shoes off. And you're watching a phenomenon in front of you. Somebody today is hearing the voice of God. He has purpose and usefulness for the rest of your life. Because underneath. Everybody, as they sing, would you come and find a place to pray? This is a golden opportunity for somebody to grab a hold of hope and grace and promise and mercy and say, God, I'm coming one more time.
doing God right now. Yes, it is. It's doing God. Would everybody come and just stand around the front and let's create a prayerful atmosphere for those that have come. Everybody come join us. Everybody come join us. 